Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to season airs, expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. On today's show we speak to Australian-born Lauren Lamari. In this episode, Lauren discusses her experience of chasing winters across Canada, Japan and New Zealand, as well as her transition to life working aboard super yachts for some of the wealthiest people in the world. In her early 20s and just out of university, Lauren was unsure whether she had made the right study choice in massage therapy. With no idea where to go or what to do next, Lauren stumbled upon an opportunity that lit the path to a now nomadic lifestyle. Listen to the end of the show to hear Lauren's advice on how to score a job on a super yacht, as well as her travel tips and tricks to help you on your next journey. So, Lauren, welcome to That Season Air podcast. How are you going, Gina? I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing all right. Thanks for joining us today. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? I'm from Australia. Okay. I'm 30 years old mm-hmm. and I'm currently in Meyerhofen in Austria to yeah. do a ski season. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. what do you do for a job? Uh, I'm a masseuse by trade. Okay. Uh, and I've done numerous jobs over the past decade in hospitality. Awesome. And what sort of age did you start traveling around? I didn't start really traveling around until I was 23. Oh, okay. So a little bit later than a lot of people that I've met a little bit earlier <laughs> yeah. than me um but yes do you consider yourself a seasonaire or an expat or a traveler slash nomad what do you consider yourself to be at this point in time I think at this point in time I consider my lifestyle to be a bit more nomadic yeah but definitely when I started I felt like a seasonaire or a typical yes. seasonaire yeah yeah and what made you go on to doing seasons? What made you first leave your home country of Australia? Yeah, good story. I actually finished my university degree and I had a bit of space of time in between finishing my studies and graduating. And it just so happened to line up with winter in Australia and I moved to the mountains there. Yeah. So your first season, you went to... Jindabyne. Yeah. I was working in Sydney mm-hmm. at a pub there that I'd worked at on, while I was studying on and off for like five years. And one of the managers there uh, had asked if any of us wanted to come down and work for the season. Yeah. And uh, one of the girls was really interested. Then something happened. She couldn't go. And it kind of got me thinking, well, well maybe I, I can go. I've got three months up my Why sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So you went across to Jindabyne and you were a snowboarder at this point or not? Because no. this is why you're here currently in Meyerhofen. Yes. You're here to snowboard. So something's happened in something. between. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I had gone down there just to work primarily and I had no idea what I was walking into. I discovered snowboarding and fell in love with it and met a bunch of people who traveled around the world following the winters. Okay. Yeah. So then you got a taste of the season life. You got a taste of the snow. You got a taste of snowboarding. And you decided then home wasn't the way forward. You were going to go further afield. Where did you end up next? Tell yeah. Tell me all about it. 
So I saw a brochure sitting in the pub for Canada and Canadian resorts. <laughs> you just saw a brochure. So yeah, I I'm saw off. a brochure and I, was, so I think it was for Big White. And I was like, what's going on? And chatting to a few people <laughs> and they're, they're all, I'm going here, I'm going there next. And I'm just like, well, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. I've just finished my degree and already questioning it towards the end of my degree. Is this something that I want to continue pursuing? And yeah. um, then I found this lifestyle that I could, practice what I did as a job and awesome. and also have this amazing lifestyle. So you to went to Whistler. Whistler. Yeah. Awesome. And in Whistler you used your diploma in massage therapy to get some I did, income. Yes. I also uh would take up a second job just in hospitality. Okay. Moving somewhere like Whistler, it is, you know, a world renowned resort. The cost yes. of living is not cheap. Oh, is it not? <laughs> no, it's that. not cheap. So it can be quite challenging yes. uh, so I uh, had two jobs but I actually in my last year of studies I had taken a step back from that trade right yeah and um and then yeah I got to Canada and I saw a bunch of jobs uh for massage jobs and thought quick send my certificates over like yeah, yeah. awesome yeah oh, that's so good so from Canada what happened next I decided to move back to Australia and instead of moving back home, I moved up north near Byron Bay in a town called Lennox Head and another change of scenery for me. I grew up in the suburbs of Sydney and now I'm living in a surfside town on the northern New South Wales coast. Ah, Can you surf? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I did try. I did try, but... uh, Actually, the time that I was there, there was a huge spike in shark attacks, which is really oh, wow. scary. Yeah, that's enough to that, put you off. <laughs> yeah, it, it put me off for sure. But I did try and it is actually one of the hardest sports I've, I've ever tried. Yeah. I Way actually, harder than snowboarding. <laughs> I know, right? I tried it once. My sister likes to surf and um, we went to Cornwall a couple of times and I had two lessons. And the first time I was like, yeah, this is all right. I can do this. Um, it was really, really hard. It and the second hard. time, I hated it. <laughs> I literally hated it. And I was like, I'm going back to the mountains. I'm going back to snow. When you fall off, you just get back up and get get on. Keep going. Yeah, at Whereas, your own pace. Yeah, like, yeah. what is all that about? You surfers who are listening <laughs> right now, hats off to you because that is a lot of effort. You've got to, you know, swim right out, go and catch another wave, wait for the right time, fall off. Yeah. swim back out again it's a challenge that's Fair for play sure to you. yeah well, if there are any surfers listening who want to come on please do because uh, i've got a few things i want to ask you about that yeah. that's hardcore <laughs> all right so um you're back in australia yeah and you've been there for a year or so is that right that is right been there yeah for a year or so? okay and uh in my travels before that i'd kind of run into a few people who had worked in a different industry outside of the snow sports oh, yeah. world and i was in the super yachts super yachts yeah wow that's different it is really different and yeah. i'll never forget the first time that i first heard someone uh tell me about that job oh yeah what do they say uh, they told me they were a deckhand on a super yacht and I just remember thinking, wow, that's that's great for you. I'm so stoked for you, but I could never do anything right. like that. Oh, really? How would I get a job yeah. doing that? And he was just like, absolutely, you could. There's yeah. no reason that you couldn't. And What then, was it that made you think you couldn't? It just seems so inaccessible. Yeah. And I think that the less we have models of behavior of the path to go, you know, university is one of those pathways that's been done time and time and time again so it feels like it a really achievable task yeah, it's very, very normal it is very normal yeah. i don't want to say it like it's a bad thing because going to uni is a very good thing to do yeah you know what i mean absolutely but um yeah it seems like yeah that's what everyone does you go to uni you yeah. get your qualifications why would i go and work on a, a super yacht yeah 
pretty far-fetched idea yeah I get you yeah Yeah, and and growing up in Australia something like super yachts like I've never seen boats that size in Australia like they were just little recreational sort of uh, tugboats so it just it just seems like this out of this world possibility and almost like what what skills could I possibly have that could translate into a job like that on the other side of the world so your friends are talking about this lifestyle on these super yachts yeah and you go I don't think I can do it no then what happens you just go well I'm gonna try anyway yeah actually um it's one of those things that once your awareness is brought to the fact it it exists yeah Yeah, exactly a possibility an opportunity you then start to draw those people around you and I just kept meeting more and more people that had had gone and done something like this and Mm, synchronicity yeah so (laughs) the more conversations I was having about it with more and more different people it started like I said before they started to pave the way of wow this is actually a possibility and I do have the skills to be able to try this yeah of course because obviously you've got your massage therapy yeah yeah I would say to anyone who's thinking about possibly entertaining this idea of okay maybe I'll step it way outside of my comfort zone and do this it's one of those jobs that it it can really separate you from the other people the other applicants if you have another skill and in this industry the things they kind of look for are massage yoga carpentry skills uh kite surfing photography like the the options are are endless i've seen jobs for nurses it just really really? depends on the need of the owners of of the boats and what they're they're wanting that's really good information thanks for sharing that because there will be people listening who have considered this um as a as a job prospect so yeah really good to know that if you have got that extra little bit of training in something it could um, help you on your way to secure a job in on the super yachts even. yeah absolutely uh, use your skills yeah yeah they'll take you far yeah <laughs> don't don't doubt your abilities because they could take you anywhere yeah. you want to just going back to the super super yachts really briefly actually where were you on the super yachts where did you start out i started out in um a place in Mallorca called palma okay it's kind of one of the main hubs for the yachting industry along with antibes in france yeah, and with the yachts, is there like a season? Is it a seasonal thing? Is there like a particular two or three seasons or four? Like obviously we have four yeah. seasons in a year, yep. but we generally, when I think of seasons, I think of a summer season and a winter season. Do you have that in yachting? Absolutely. So the two main seasons are the Mediterranean season and the Caribbean season. Oh, okay. And there is other boats that kind of will do like Pacific regions and, but they're the, the two, two main ones. Right. Okay. And they're both summer seasons. Uh, and a lot of boats as well, they'll kind of be single season instead of dual season. And so they'll, they'll bunker down somewhere for the winter. As right. Well. Okay. So that, that's that side of the industry as well. How long is a season for oh, yachting? Oh gosh. It, <laughs> <laughs> they're about, uh, four months, but, okay. um, if you've ever worked on a boat, you'll know what I mean when there sometimes there there are boats that there is no downtime. Really? <laughs> it can be really intense. Really intense. Uh, oh, wow. If you're doing dual seasons and you're busy and um, crossing the Atlantic Ocean to go from yeah, I've the heard Med to a the lot Caribbean. of people say <laughs> yeah. about working on yachts. It's not it's not for the faint-hearted. That's right. Um, so you went on from the super yachts. I've read in your bio, uh, Japan. Yeah, 
That's a stretch. What happened there? (laughs) Uh, I think in the few years gone by, I had a lot of positive experiences with moving around, meeting different people. Um, I guess you've been in the sun for a while at this point as well. So it's time to go for the well-renowned snow of Japan. Exactly. (laughs) And I just wanted to really experience and see as many places as I could in my 20s. And um, yeah, I had, like I said, I had a lot of positive experiences that kind of re- reinforced that I can use my skills anywhere that I really wanted to. Awesome. Yeah. So you were using your trade again in uh, yeah. Japan. I was. I worked wow. for a company, a physiotherapist company, right. so mainly tailored to tourism. Yeah. Uh, the tourists, the Westerners that were there. Did you um, have to speak a lot of Japanese? You don't have to speak a lot of Japanese. Uh, the town that I was in, in particular, it is quite local. And oh, wow. they, they really appreciate when you, you speak Japanese. Yeah, try um, a little bit of the language. Well, I mean, that's sort of similar for everywhere, isn't it? It they is, They always yeah. appreciate you kind of uh, giving it a go, even if you're rubbish, like I try and do here in Austria. So. And it's a, it's a really fun language. I think it's probably one of my favorite languages in the world. Yeah. It's actually quite a beautiful... Do you want to give us a little bit oh, of Japanese? <laughs> It sounds it's like to me, like it just like a lot of it sounds really joyful and oh, it's cool. a really pleasant language. So moving on from Japan, mm-hmm. you then went across to where? I went to New Zealand, just across the pond from where I'm from. Yeah. Much to my family's joy that I was so much closer to home. Oh, that's yeah. good. And that was, so that was from, was that from winter season to winter again? Yeah, I kind of had the idea that perhaps New Zealand might be my forever home. Yeah, I don't know whatever sparked that idea. Like, was it Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah. I think it was probably the scenery was, there, right? <laughs> I think I'd been moving around quite a bit and I was really looking to just find some grounding. And I actually got yeah. there before the winter and I stayed until after the winter. Yeah, so you're in New Zealand. You thought you were going to stay there. Mm-hmm. You were doing another winter season, so more snowboarding. More snowboarding, yeah. How was the how was the snow? It's very different to anywhere that I'd been before. Um, but I, I really liked it there. I was in a town called Wanika and I was uh, yeah. using the mountain Kadrona there. Okay. And it's just very, it's very much a place that I... I could settle down in lots of wide open spaces, farmland, really? very chill, little lake, t- lakeside town. It's yeah. really cool. Oh, cool. Good, yeah, I've good never vibes. been, I've actually never been to most of the places that you've been to actually, which is uh, interesting. So it's good to, <laughs> good to hear a, a, a broad opinion on them. Do you feel inspired to go to any of these places, Gina? Do you know where I'm inspired to go? Australia. <laughs> yeah, you should <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I've never been and I've got a few friends over there and yeah, it'd be nice to go and do a bit of travelling around there apart from the spiders. I'm not keen on that. Oh, I do know how many people I've heard say that they won't come to Australia just because they know there's spiders and snakes there. Is it a lot? <laughs> well, I was I kind mean, of... I'm like, really? You're not going to go her. to a country just because of that? There's so well, much more. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, it's one of the big factors why I haven't been so far. <laughs> no, it'll be fine. There's plenty of people around to take care of you and catch the spiders for you, I promise. Yeah, but as I, long as there are. I think the... Oh, yeah, probably, sharks as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest problem really might be like the flies in the in the summer months. Really, uh, I, I haven't been home long enough, but I I do know you do notice it. It's quite considerable. Really, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure how I feel about that. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> so New Zealand. Uh, so you went to Wanaka and you were there for a bit. Yeah, 
And then you headed back and then to I Japan. Itchy feet again. Yeah, <laughs> I see that. Japan for me is is one of those places that is so culturally different from where I'm from, but it is hands down probably my favorite place I've, I've ever been. Do you feel like at home in Japan? I wouldn't say I feel like at home, but there's this real sense of just peace and joy that I have when I'm there. It's just very easy and very chilled and everyone's so friendly and... The culture and the food is just next level. It's it's amazing. So you were in Japan, New Zealand, Japan. Yep. And then I thought, why don't I a bit of a sucker for punishment and go back for the yachts? Goodness (laughs) me. Yeah, I had this. I have a bit of a, a some goals in the in the pipeline, and it was just time to kind of knuckle down for a year and just get some steady income from moving around place to place. Yeah. And I, I seized the opportunity I'm, while I'm still young to kind of use my experience. And, and that's, it's really quite, once you're in, on the boat, it's a really easy income. You have hardly any expenses while you're there and you get paid virtually the same, if not a little bit more with some tips and stuff. So, really? okay. so it was a really good place to kind of focus on a goal and work towards it. From the yachts, you came here to Marhofen, is that right? Yes. (laughs) You came here during a pandemic. I know, right? (laughs) It's funny how everything just kind of aligned and I was able to to come here. And yeah, I'm I'm lucky that I've met people along the way yourself included. Uh, One of the reasons that I came here (laughs) and it's just it's just made the whole experience during a pandemic a lot smoother than yeah. it potentially could have been. I've yeah. been really lucky. I feel very lucky. Gina, let me level with you. Go on. Let me level with you. Level with me. The best thing, I think, about doing seasons, other people, for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. I the the, the do. places that I've had the best time are with the best people and doing seasons has taught me that the world is full of amazing people. It's like they always say, isn't it? It's not where you are, it's who you're with. Exactly. And we are very lucky to have a nice crew. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, like you say, everywhere I've ever worked, uh, everywhere I've ever visited, actually, I've always been surrounded by wonderful people. I met yourself in Bali a couple of years ago. Yeah. Through our mutual friend who you met in Wanaka. Yep. Shiv. Yep. Who hopefully will get on the podcast at some point, our little Scottish you should, mate. You should, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, you really do. And it leads to quite a lot of different opportunities, these things. Um, one tends to lead to the other. You know, you didn't even think you were going to do... You didn't even know you were going to do a season when you were at college. No. And you did. I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know it existed. Uh, nor did I, actually, when I was a bit younger, until I started doing, you know, until I started snowboarding, I didn't know it was even a, an option, really. Yeah. I think the the people that you meet doing seasons are the big reason that you go back for more. And that sense of community that you have in some, somewhere like a seasonal town, uh, people are there for such a short time. Often they usually bring their full of life self. Yeah. And without them, I would never have had the opportunities that I had uh, a lot of the time finding jobs is coming through networking and, you know. Exactly. The opportunities do tend to come through the people you meet don't they and where you are at the time you know there's usually someone hiring I mean it's a bit different at the moment during pandemic however um it it is that sort of culture where you go ahead you do it you find similar people with similar mindsets and they know something or someone or somewhere you can go next you know it's always the way so yeah like you say you always do meet the best people and they really do make your season generally yes for sure 
earlier you said your overall favorite was japan Mm -hmm. if someone had to go to one place is that where you would advise them to go or well that's a really good question i I definitely think should look at your your own personal interests everyone's going to have a different draw card to why they want to go to some some place but i do think that um canada was a really good starting point just because it is one of those places that, you know, the culture is very similar to Australia. The language is the same. It's very accessible. Whistler was very accessible from Vancouver. So those sorts of things make doing yeah. your first season a lot more accessible. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. And being an Australian mm-hmm. and going across to Canada, did you need any kind of visa to go and do that? Yeah, at the time I applied for a working holiday visa which was available to Australians under the age of 30, 31. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I was able to acquire a two-year visa, but I believe now they've since changed it since 2013 and it is a one-year visa, but it's accessible to people up until the age of 35. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So they've extended so it So it's never bit. too late to do your first season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were talking earlier about you'd started doing seasons when you were 23. Mm-hmm. And I was 27, I think. I don't know, but I think it was around then. <laughs> I wish I'd started earlier. Oh, for sure. I'm so jealous of people when I hear yeah. that they started at the age of 19 <laughs> yeah. or 20. Those people are smart. Yeah, Although, right. you know, it's always good to go and do the university thing. I agree of that too you know great idea get your skills there's no wrong path exactly but um yeah I do wish I started earlier however I do also sometimes think would I have enjoyed it as much with the knowledge I know now as a as a 36 year old or at the time when I first started when Mm -hmm. I was 27 would I have appreciated it yeah as much as I do hindsight's a beautiful thing isn't isn't it do you need a visa to go to Japan Yes, you did. I Again, it was a working holiday visa. Mm-hmm. Six months, I think it was, over a period of a year that you could work. And yeah. I'm also on a working holiday visa right now in Meyerhofen as well. It was kind of like, okay, the, the cutoff age was 31 and I'm in 30. So I was able to sneak in there. I would yeah. say working holiday visa, if you are in the age bracket, is the easiest way to get a work permit, work overseas. From working in all these different places and traveling around and visiting different countries with all the information that you've gained over the years through all your travels what is the one bit of information you would like to pass on to our listeners who are thinking about going to do a season or travel abroad work abroad live abroad that's a really good question and I've thought about it many times over the years especially meeting younger seasoners that are on their first seasons Uh, The biggest takeaway I think would or thing that I would like to pass on is that although that it can be really challenging sometimes that the payoff is worth it and just to trust yourself and know that you have the skills to support yourself. Mm -hmm. What was your most challenging job that you've had or the most challenging place that you've worked in all your experience? As in like country or job role? Because you've been you've been doing massage therapy. Yep for the majority of the time Mm -hmm. um but it'd be good to know you know what was hard work or the the hardest time I can I can think of is trying to get into the super yacht industry okay uh for me simultaneously at the same time I was going through a bit of personal hardship myself right okay um and I've plucked myself out of my safe space and plonked myself over in Europe and trying to start a new life while you're simultaneously trying to manage your emotions and and big life changes as well. 
that's probably the most challenging. And then as well, the super yacht industry is like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, I've heard a lot of um, feedback about the super yacht industry and how hard it is. I mean, I've heard that the pay is pretty good, but you really work really hard for it. So. Yeah. I mean, every boat is different in the industry. That's the first thing. But my I've worked on three boats. Mm-hmm. And I think the most consistent thing with those three boats that I found is the, the biggest challenge of that job is losing that sense of like personal space and adult. Yeah. Uh, you can't it's kind of like almost moving back home again yeah in the sense your independence you know, a bit you call, yeah you kind of um buy someone else's schedule i guess all the time yeah and so it's really give, hard hard work yeah sure. give us a like a rundown of your typical day oh, okay. on a boat well there's like on a boat on different a <laughs> different days but uh you kind of have like your guest on uh jobs and then you have the time on the on the boat you were working where the guests are off so the guest off stuff is a lot of maintenance and organization and prepping for the season and like may, maybe like monday to friday um sort of normal hours and then when you're guest on it's a whole nother ball game you are beck and call like 15 hour hour yeah. days um sometimes it might be more chill than others but it's one of those industries that is super unpredictable you never know what's yeah. uh, gonna happen and you work hard yeah yeah did you enjoy it I really did enjoy it. I did it for just over two years, I think. Yeah, two about two years. What was the best part of that experience? I think the best part of that experience is, which kind of sounds weird because it's also the hardest part, is the challenge of it. And that's kind of what drew me to it in the first place is one, feels out of reach. And then two, it's such a different challenge that I've ever experienced before. And although that, that can be really, really hard, it's also really rewarding to to have that, feel that sense of achievement of I can get past this and yeah. I can work this hard. And I, yeah, it's really, yeah. really cool. I think that's something that goes hand in hand with doing seasons overall is when you go and do it, you never really know what it's going to be like until you do it. Yes. And so it's always a bit of a challenge, but once you've done it, you're like, oh my God, I just did yeah. this amazing thing and met these amazing people and you know it was really hard at some points but yeah I kind of explain it to people or I've developed a way to understand it for myself is that your highest highs are as low as your lowest lows and you can kind of if you have less challenges then there's less reward but the harder the challenge the bigger the reward so put yourself out there and the more that you get every time you get through those challenges it it spurs you on to to try the next thing or go further or do something else that you never thought was possible yeah have you had any different opportunities that really stand out to you as something that you wouldn't have normally done or like wouldn't have the opportunity to do if you were at home all of it yeah (laughs) all of it the the world that I have created is so far from where I come from uh you know I grew up in the suburbs and my family are an immigrant Italian family my parents were born in Australia but my grandparents so they really had this like work hard save your pennies kind of mentality um it was you know, go to church every Sunday and then go wow. to university and get a good job. And I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. I kind of jumped on <laughs> the uh, the opportunity that, yeah, 
I just yeah. kind of spontaneously decided that this was a good idea and it changed my world forever. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah, the whole thing. Oh, brilliant. Well, yeah, I mean, you've been to quite a lot of different places, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of get a taste for it. You're like, yeah, wow. That this is, is the problem, isn't yeah. it? It's like, <laughs> when are you going home? When you, I, do you know what? The one question I always get is, um, when are you going to get a real job? Oh. When, you, when are you going to go home? I'm like, I my don't family know have stopped saying that to me. It took oh, a little they... while. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? You, you have, have a real... skill. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, it was always, when are you coming home? And uh, my yeah. my dad's favorite one is, how long are you staying for when you come home? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't stay in one place too long, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lauren, what was your pandemic experience like? Ooh, well, that's actually a really good story. I can't yeah. say too much because at the time I was employed on a super yacht and okay. there is a lot of like confidentiality surrounding yeah, that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I was actually on leave in Japan. I was working five months on and one month off with the super yachts and it happened that my leave lined up perfectly in the middle of winter. So I flew to Japan and oh, really? hung out with all my friends and so didn't, you were... didn't work and just... <laughs> Wait, so you were on a super yacht? Yeah. How long do you have leave for? Um, Four weeks. Four weeks off. Yeah. And you thought, and where were you at this point? I was in the Caribbean. So you were like, oh, I'm just going to go to Japan Yeah, now. I'm just going to fly across the world. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so you went across Don't to Japan. Don't act surprised. No, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but yeah, so you were missing the snow and you yep. thought, I've got to go and do a bit of snowboarding for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. It's my second home and I, there's nowhere else I'd rather spend my four of my eight weeks off a year of course <laughs> yeah of course and so the yep. pandemic kind of hit while I was over there and I got a message to say that um, the day I was due to fly back to the Caribbean actually to say that I think at the time the the cruise ship had just landed on Japanese borders but no one was allowed off and um, yeah, I was told not to come back to work, but to take an extra two weeks to quarantine. So I last minute changed my flight and flew home to Australia and very luckily got to see my family for two weeks because otherwise I would not have been able to see them. Yeah, that's the thing at yeah. the moment is people who are doing this sort of thing are having a bit of trouble trying to get back yeah. to loved ones. and Exactly. And now for me to, to get back to Australia is, is also quite difficult. There's a oh, huge waiting list. and oh, wow. So I'm just kind of buying my time. Yeah. But yeah, so the I ended up going to Australia for two weeks and then I flew um, back to the Caribbean and um, we had a charter lined up and our plans changed in those few weeks uh countless times really? like oh my god it was it was stressful yeah. <laughs> like it's stressful to know you have a busy plan coming up and it's even more stressful to have that change on you a thousand times in one day in 24 hours so yeah. but it ended up um being actually bound to the boat for a couple of weeks with uh, no guests on and at anchor and unable to leave our anchorage because the country we were in wouldn't allow anyone to come in and also wouldn't allow to anyone to come out. So yeah, spent on a super yacht uh, in the middle of the most beautiful blue water in the Caribbean. And it was probably one of the more unique COVID experiences that anyone could probably have which is really cool uh once we were able to leave it it just became even crazier like the pandemic experience we're uh very careful about bringing 
food produce and things on the boat. Really? Washing everything with soapy water. It was just like super yachting on a whole nother level of crazy. And that was actually really hard as well being coming back across to Europe. I actually spent three weeks or so uh, crossing the Atlantic. So managed to avoid a lot of the craziness that was happening in the outside world. And yeah. we're very much in our own little bubble. That's um, cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, once we came back into Europe, it was like, okay, this is a real thing again. Like we had adjusted in our own little bubble and then had to adjust to the greater bubble as well. And, you know, the industry itself uh, is really difficult and you already have very limited time to kind of do your thing and things that make you you Mm -hmm. in that that world and then you've got all these extra restrictions put on you because of COVID and an industry that's already so challenging just became tenfold more more challenging yeah I bet when you go abroad when you go on your travels what's the one thing you take with you everywhere oh good question (laughs) (laughs) oh I kind of have like one thing that's like really important for like long-haul flights and right yeah which by the way top tip coming from Australia long flights everywhere there's a this is um inflatable back pillow well i've wondered what you were gonna say yeah <laughs> inflatable back pillow right yeah good 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 and it's like a little it's like a rectangle and you don't even have to fill it up with like that much air and it's the best you don't use it i've never used it as a back pillow but you know when you're on the what? on the plane yeah <laughs> okay and you're in, you're in that <laughs> where the, are we going you're in the window seat and yeah. you can't put the armrest up oh yeah so you kind of just put a little bit of air in it and then you fold it up and then you're like wedge it in between like your hip and the oh thing, right and it's perfect so the back pillow well yeah it's a rectangular doubles up pillow. as an armrest well no it kind of it kind of is like the thing that t- cuts out all the stuff that's always digging into you and it's really ah. versatile i've never used it at full capacity either it's one of those <laughs> things that like it's a really good just little cushion and it flat packs like an a4 piece of paper it's absolutely amazing top tip for anyone doing long haul flight oh, get yourself a little back pillow inflatable you know i think I love having like my face products and stuff. I move around so much and that stuff kind of lasts a lot. So I always make room for that because that's not something that you want to keep buying all the time. Um, But traveling so much and living out of a suitcase is really honed in my minimalistic um yeah yeah you do skills. get used to that yeah minimalist yeah. life I mean I live here now so yeah it's a little bit different but yeah the first few years I was just doing seasons and you had to cram your whole life into yeah. one suitcase that was yeah pretty hard so probably work. probably my <laughs> advice would be not one thing that you can't not take but rather minimize everything yeah 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 you don't need anywhere near as much as what you think you do and, no. and you make it work and it's better for the environment What's the thing you miss the most about Australia? Summer. <laughs> oh, yeah? And the beaches and just how quiet they are. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh maybe not so much in like the cities, but like any step outside any of the major areas and you just have a whole beach to yourself and it's pristine and it's oh, beautiful. Wow. Yeah. And the the West Coast is just as beautiful as the East Coast. And mm-hmm. it's it's all amazing. It, it is. Go, yeah. They? Yeah, there's so much to see. One day. Um, one but yeah, day. obviously my family, my family yeah. as well. Any home comforts you miss? Any food that you miss? Any Anything like that? It's been it's so, so silly, isn't long. it? But you're just like, <laughs> yeah. no. occasionally my, my family send out things from the UK. And I'm my like, nonna's cooking. Oh, nonna. Nonna. I miss you. Brava, nonna. Oh, and Christmases and yeah, my, my family's cooking for sure. Oh, awesome. What's one message you'd like to 
um, sort of relay to our listeners who are thinking about stepping out of the norm Mm -hmm. and going and doing a season or traveling, working, living abroad. Is there anything, any bits of advice you really think? I think I've touched on it a little bit, but I think if you're not really sure how to, to do it, start talking about it. And people will pop up out of the woodwork and you'll kind of have that modeling and um, like a mentor. The more you talk about it, the more people you meet and the more people who give you advice, the more achievable it's going to feel. And I think that sense of, you know, I I can do this is is really important when you find yourself overseas for the first time and you are in a challenging situation. You're like, okay, like I have a support network of people that I can talk to about this, but I also know that I I have the skills to to pull through it. Yeah. Yeah. And just really trust yourself and and know that, you know, you you can support yourself. Yeah. You're doing it already. And all the different places you've been, all the things you've learned and the opportunities you've had from those, what would you now go back and tell your 19-year-old self? Yeah. Good question. My 19-year-old self looks so different to where I am now. And, you know, if you would have asked me this question a week ago, I probably would have given you a very different answer. But today, I would probably say dream big and find yourself someone who can guide you there. I think a mentor is so underrated and it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific person, but really look at the people who take a different path. And What changed in a week? I watched that movie Soul. Oh, right. Yeah, and it was like... I've not seen this movie. Yeah, so this movie Soul, I I actually really rate it. And before I came here today, I I was thinking about it as well, my walk here. And it really highlights how many possibilities there are in the world for for each individual person and my travels kind of taught me not just my season travels but the holidays and places in between yeah like I remember being in Morocco and thinking wow like there is no one way to like live this life and growing up I you know was very much pushed in the direction of university and this and and it kind of becomes like this thing of like that's the path that's the yeah. path yeah. and some people would like deviate from that path and people were like oh like whisper and oh it's risky and, and it kind of makes you nervous but the more I traveled and the more I saw it's like you could be living on a, a farm and never have left that farm in your whole life and that's right or you could live at home your whole life and that's fine or you could travel around the world and that's fine too yeah like there is there's people that you're going to come across that are going to tell you that oh you probably shouldn't do it that way or that's a bit of a risk or that's really challenging that's really hard or are you sure about that and they question you and that kind of makes you question yourself yeah I saw so I saw this movie and it really highlights just how many paths there are for people in your life and so you know what if I was to go back and tell my 19 year old self to really just trust in what you want to do and follow that and do not let anybody tell you otherwise because everyone's always going to have an opinion and it's comes from a place of what they know and understand and they only know and understand so much you know what you want to do just do it and if you fail there's probably another door that's going to open anyway yeah, that is the thing. That's one of the things I guess I would say to my 19-year-old self as well is that do what you want because in about 20 years, you might want to do something else. Yeah. So 
just do and it. And it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. That was a huge lesson for me. Like there was a couple of times where I was like, after this, I'm going to go and do this. And then after that, I'm, I want to do this. And then something will happen. And it kind of throws that plan into turmoil. And yeah, don't get too caught up with that's the plan because the plan might take you in that direction. And sure, that door might close, but another one will open. And it sounds really cliche, but it's true. It is true. Yeah. And some of the best moments I I had was really surrendering to that and allowing the opportunities that came my way and not forcing myself to stick to a plan. When I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd grown up playing basketball quite high level. And so I had an interest in the human body and movement. So I knew I wanted to move into that, that area. And I had someone that I knew that had done the massage course. So again, there's that mentor subliminal, you know, they've kind of lit the path for me of like, okay, this is a possibility. Yeah. So I've gone and done the massage course and that's kind of then led me to go to university. Okay. I'm going to do this. And that's something I decided I didn't end up wanting to do. And I kind of packed the whole thing away for about a year as well. And then I went to Jindabyne and then I moved to Canada and boom, next thing you know, Send me my certificates. I'm going to do massage in Canada. And I ended up working in spas. And so I I started out with this like um, real clinical and sport um, orientated sort of massage and then went to Canada and I was working in the more of the beauty side. And I'm a bit of a tomboy. So like to do that and to really enjoy it Mm -hmm. was just like, whoa, like it's opened a whole, whole nother world. Even if you know what you want to do and the plan changes as it goes and it evolves and to just trust in that process because you don't know that skill that I learned. I might never have picked it up again, but it's actually become the thing that's taken me around the world. That's amazing. You just never know. So with the super yachts, what is the recruitment process? How do you get into that? Yeah, good question. Um, There's a couple of different avenues that you can take. Right. First and foremost, I would say being in the right place is a huge help. Yeah. So the ports that I was talking about earlier um, for the Mediterranean season. So literally being there. Being there. Showing exactly. up. Right. Yep. Showing up. Actually, that's a really good point. Just show up. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Then there is the avenue of agencies. So in those major ports, there are a lot of agencies uh, that work with employing people. Their services are kind of more toward uh, people already with experience or the higher ranking sort of jobs but they do look after people who are trying to enter the industry as well it's just usually that the pool is a lot bigger there's a lot more applicants for people starting out so you really need something like I said that separates you from from someone else yeah so your Mm -hmm. massage therapy Yep. In your case. Exactly. And the third way, uh, which is again, like kind of being there is this uh, dock walking. So there's... Dock walking. Yeah. There is... What is dock walking? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what it sounds like? Yeah. It's uh, where the boats are docked in the ports. Yeah. The bigger yachts all kind of uh, in the same area. So gaining access to those ports and dressing the part in a polo t-shirt and right you know looking ready <laughs> ready to work and you take your cv and you walk up and down and you pretty much knocking on the doors of the gangways and saying hey i'm here and i'm looking for a job oh. and i'm ready to work so it literally is dock walking yeah you're walking around up with and your cv the docks. and just selling yourself like exactly employ me now i, I will give everyone a heads up it is probably 
more one of the more challenging things that you ever have to do in the industry yeah. it's almost like <laughs> a rite of passage diff- difficult yeah and um it, yeah it, it is it's a really difficult thing to do to walk up with a smile on your face and be turned down at pretty much every day but it's a way that you can perhaps pick up work just for a day and gain experience that way so boats will be like yep you can come on for a week we need someone for a week and then you can kind of work your way in that way as well mm-hmm. and of course networking like we said talking to people is the best way so hanging out at the bars and things where yeah. where the yachties kind of hang out and just meeting people and getting to know people and what jobs are going and available is there a time frame in which you would suggest to people to do this like is there a time period before the season where you would say right this is the sort of time you need to go there in order to work in time for season or get employment in time for the season ahead yeah for sure so I think the med season for example summer starts around June but you'd kind of want to be on the boat for at least a good month before then right okay and then before then you kind of really want to give yourself a, a good window to gain some experience and do some day work which you can access through the dock walking or through the agents and right. networking. Uh, so you kind of want to be there a few months before. It's the same as is when you're doing a ski season. People tell you you should get there in October or November, but really if you get there in January, sometimes it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. So with the ski seasons and working abroad, working in Japan, working in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, coming to my Hoffen, is there any tips that you can give anyone with regard to finding accommodation? I think... When you're first starting out, it feels like an overwhelming task. Yes. So I just want to put it out there to people that it's actually pretty much the same as what it would look like if you're looking for a place in your hometown. Right. So if that takes some of the pressure off, go to your local classifieds for wherever you're moving to. Um, and again, networking, staying in a hostel when you first get there as a bit of a security blanket could be really helpful. But it's exactly the same as if you're trying to find accommodation in your your hometown. And there are usually in each resort or every place you tend to go these days, there's uh, community groups on Facebook and social media where you can connect with other people. Exactly. um, And try and find accommodation or just find people to kind of hang around with. Exactly. And that's a really good point, Gina. Facebook is, in my experience, probably being one of the most useful tools in traveling and finding accommodation and when you're looking to to buy and sell things secondhand like when you're traveling you're probably on a budget and it's the best way to pick up stuff from people that have come and gone from seasons and yeah exactly access information anything you need i'm trying to think what's the one thing i always travel with always used to before i you know set up shop and decided to stay in one country um it was a plug adapter Oh, good one. Yeah. Uh, well, not just a plug adapter, a uh, extension cord, you Ooh. know, an extension lead. So you've got several plugs. Yes, um, very important. From the home country. And now they're, all my plugs are just European, so yeah. it's fine. But back in the day, that was one thing I used to put in my suitcase. so that Luxury I could, item, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that I could... Um, power up everything that i needed to the laptop yeah the, so you're not doing that kind of dance where you're like now i'm going to charge my phone and then yeah. i'm going to charge this and i'm going to exactly you're like doing this little <laughs> dance like you wake up halfway through the night you're like gotta switch it on charge yeah. so i'm ready for the next day it's so silly but it's just one of those things isn't it yeah <laughs> it's such a silly thing but it's dead handy when you've got one yeah exactly <laughs> so, and yeah. check 
don't get caught out bringing the wrong adapter. Yeah. That's happened to me before. Yeah, that's the thing about you is you go so many places. How do you know what adapter you need? Oh, and- no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I change very frequently. I constantly have uh, universal adapters. They're yeah. they're the good ones, Smart. the ones that you can change the input and the output. Get yourself one of those; you'll never have to worry about it again. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> Thank you for coming in and having a chat today. I've had the best time. Have you? Yeah. Oh, so it's been much so fun. lovely having you. Thank you so much for coming in. Is there anyone you would like to call out to come on the podcast? Oh, okay. I I have three people. Oh, yeah? yeah? Tell me. Who are they? Well, first person, I would love to suggest my friend Siobhan, or our friend Siobhan. Yeah. She <laughs> has a lot to talk about. Yeah. Very Scottish mate. Yeah. Uh, the next person I would suggest is my friend Cody Chef. Okay. He is a Canadian guy that I met in Japan last year. Okay. And I've heard a little bit about his story. He kind of comes from like a very businessman, uh, suit and tie background, and now is doing seasons. And he is a really cool guy. Totally different. Yeah. He, I've had a few chats with him about his past and where he, what he's doing now. And I think he'd be perfect. Excellent. And the third person I would nominate is Jonathan Weaver. Right. He has just released a book called The Anti-Blueprint Project. All right. Which is super interesting. Look it up. Um, yeah. And it's about people who have kind of followed different paths outside the norms. Yeah. And yeah, I think he'd be, he's actually in Meyerhofen right now. So he'd be perfect. Yeah, that does sound good, actually. I have heard of his book and it is, sounds exactly what I am talking about on this podcast. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, he'd be great. So yeah, I'm going to look into those. Thank you very much for Just suggesting so them. And I hope that they decide to come on and have a word with I hope me. so too. But again, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wealth of knowledge about all these different countries. And Thanks for having I me. I hope you'll come back again. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Good night. Good night. What a lovely chat with so much handy information. Thanks again to Lauren for coming on the show today. Since recording this show, Lauren has started a new venture in custom illustration. So check out the show notes for a link to her Instagram page, Illustrations by Lauren, as well as any other links relating to today's show. You can now click to subscribe on any podcast platform to get new releases of this show as they come out. So please click and subscribe. A massive thank you to our sponsors, Mike Sports Bar in Meyerhofen, Wandering Woods Coffee in the UK, and of course, thank you to Mondo Wave for the music. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and I look forward to seeing you all again next time. Bye.